Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland. We take timeless biblical truth and help you to apply it in the context of your daily life. If you'd like to join us live at one of our campuses or stream one of our services online, go to peavine.org for times, locations, and more information. First Peter chapter 3, if you have your Bibles, thank you for joining us online. Rossville and Dalton, we're thrilled you're with us, however you're with us. First Peter chapter 3. Well, I started a sermon series, the beginning of summer, faith under fire, living for Christ in a hostile world. In case this is the first sermon you've heard, I encourage you to go back, listen to the rest. Um, Peter wrote this book to the Roman church. And they were under intense persecution. As a matter of fact, Emperor Nero is going to take Peter's life three years from the writing of this book. This church is under intense persecution as we speak. And, and so he's, he's giving them guidelines on how to live when the culture has turned hostile to the church. It's much like where we are today, where the culture has turned hostile towards the church. And we're starting to see it all around, and we're starting to see it even in America, and we're starting to see it even in our in news articles. We see, I saw this one this week, and it, it almost goes along with the one I pointed out last week, that a recent bill passed in the state of Michigan that could make it a felony to intimidate someone by intentionally using the wrong gender pronoun. Michigan State House of Representatives has, they have passed Bill HB 4474, a piece of legislation that criminalizes causing someone to feel threatened by words. Now, I want you to hear this now, threatened by words. It could be a, hear me, a felony where you could be charged find up to $10,000 and spend up to five years in prison for words. We've come a long way since I was in first grade. Because here's what they taught me in first grade. It was wrong, but they still made you think it. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words never hurt me. Not anymore. We're throwing you in jail for words. Specific words. Here's what they say in the bill. Intimidate means a willful course of conduct involving repeated or continuing harassment of another individual that would cause a reasonable individual to feel terrorized, frightened, or threatened, and that actually causes the victim to feel terrorized, frightened, or threatened. Now, I need you to understand what we're talking about here, and I need you to come down the right side on this. In America, we have something called um, the First Amendment, which guarantees me freedom of speech because it's vital. This Michigan bill is causing us to lose our freedom of speech, and if I make somebody feel, 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 a certain way, I go to prison. Well, I'm just going to be honest. Every Tennessee fan in the room would have me in prison in five minutes. 
And before the sermon's over, you'll definitely have me in prison, I promise you. You say, well, it would never be applied to that. Well, it depends on who's in charge, who's going to be applied to. They specifically called out sexual orientation and gender identity. And according to the bill, gender identity or expression means having or being perceived as having gender-related self-identity or expression, whether or not associated with an individual's assigned sex at birth. Mumbo, jumbo, mumbo, jumbo. All of that is geared toward Christianity. Make no doubt about it. All of that is geared towards Bible-believing Christian. Our faith is under fire. So today I want to preach on this subject out of 1 Peter chapter 3. Do what Jesus would. When stuff goes wrong in our lives, we, we, here, here's how we are as humans. I'm just going to be rubber meets the road today, right? When stuff goes wrong in our lives, we really like to blame other people for what goes wrong in our lives. I saw the other day, I saw on a Twitter thread, everything that had been blamed on miniskirts when miniskirts first came out decades and decades ago. You're going to be shocked at what we blamed on miniskirts. For example, this article blamed mold, moldy shops in Britain on miniskirts. A local businessman claims that girls feel cold because of miniskirts, uh, skirts, so businesses shut the windows, and when they shut the windows, there's less uh, ventilation and more humidity, and less ventilation and more humidity cause mold, so mold is mold, uh, miniskirts are responsible for mold makes total sense to me. Scientific evidence. How about this one? Mini skirts are blamed for the noise of a city. People were complaining the city was too noisy, and an economist declared that long skirts, because of the volume of cloth that was used in longer skirts, would soak up the noise of the city. And the reason it was too noisy in the city is uh, the sound waves are bouncing off girls' legs. Obviously, that's it. Uh, then it, mini skirts were blamed for disc sales drops. A radio station blamed mini skirts. They found out that sales dropped 30% of music discs. They said they were to blame because girls were spending money on clothes instead of disc. I'm pretty sure that's always been true, all right? Uh, how about this one? They blame mini skirts uh, once again for um, uh, unemployment because less fabric was used in the making of the skirts and therefore it was hurting the textile industry. How about this one? Short skirts are blamed for divorce. There's an article that came out in Chicago that 8,000 divorces that happened over a certain period of time, they thought that it was because girls were starting to wear mini skirts and guys were noticing. I'll, I'll, I'll let you figure that out. Right, how, about, how about this one? Short skirts are causing more traffic jams. This article in New Orleans said that uh, short skirts were causing more accidents and wrecks and traffic jams. Why? Because men were looking at the sidewalk instead of at the road. We're not done. 
And some of you ladies are like, hey, right here. I want to see your eyes right here when we're driving. Now colds are being blamed for, uh, rather mini skirts are being blamed for sickness and colds. You, you can figure this one out on your own because you got less clothes on. You don't have long skirts on. Uh, the wind is making you sick. And finally, I'll leave it alone on this. I'll sum it up with all this. That a Catholic bitch, bishop in Manchester said, short skirts are blamed for all of the turmoil in the world. So ladies, ladies I just want to tell you, it's all your fault, ladies. It's all your fault. Or now, maybe it's a man, I, I shouldn't have used the word ladies there. I should have said birthing people. I, I don't know what I should say anymore. That's a joke. Um, of course, all the world's turmoil is caused by miniskirts. Or just perhaps it is something else. Maybe there are other reasons for all of the turmoil going on in the world. Because here is what human nature is. We want to blame anything else and everything else for the turmoil that's happening in our own lives. Even when we are suffering, even when we are going through a hard time, we'll blame everything in the world except where the real issue often lies. And most of the turmoil in your life is caused by But we'd rather blame something else. We'd rather blame skirts. We'd rather blame other people. We'd rather blame anything in the world. And so when turmoil is in our lives, we want to cast blame at everything but us. And when we're suffering in, in our lives, we want to cast blame everywhere. As a matter of fact, I've noticed Christians, when we're suffering in our lives, we tend to call everything persecution. And everything, all of the suffering in our lives is not persecution. What, what, we, what we have a tendency to do is lump three kinds of suffering all in the same category. Let me show you those three kinds of suffering. First of all, I'll call it suffering for our faith. We, we tend to put everything in this category, and it just doesn't belong there. But there is such a thing. Peter's going to tell us there is suffering for our faith. Suffering for our faith is what Daniel did. Remember, Daniel prayed three times a day, and because of his prayers, he was thrown into the line. And that was suffering for his faith. Suffering for your faith is what the apostles did. The apostles uh, all gave their lives violently for the gospel's sake. Suffering for your faith is what the Stephen did in the book of Acts, the first martyr. He was, he was stoned to death because of his testimony in Jesus. Suffering for our faith is what the early church did when I read through the book of Acts and I see how they were killed and they were imprisoned and they were tortured and they were beaten. All of that is suffering for our faith. It is a direct suffering caused by your relationship with Jesus and the world's hatred of your relationship with Jesus. But let's be honest, we can suffer for our faith today, but that's rare for us. It's happening and it's coming more, but that's not normally. Normally, uh, we, there is also suffering by the enemy. We can put this in here in the case of Job in the Old Testament. 
There are times in our life when Satan just wants to tempt us. He wants to distract us. He wants to harm us. He wants to come after us. And the enemy will come after us, and we will suffer at the hands of our enemy the way Job did. And so we've got suffering for our faith, a direct result of us living for Jesus. We have suffering by the enemy, which is a direct result of us being Christians and the enemy just trying to take us down. But number three, we have suffering what I'll call just from our stupidity and disobedience right you say well that's not very nice preacher I know but I want to tell you the truth you say are there any Bible examples of that well how about David David suffered greatly because of his sin Samson suffered because of his sin Jonah suffered because of his sin and I can go on and on and on in the Bible but let's be honest most of our suffering in our lives comes from our own spiritual stupidity our own disobedience in our lives most of the suffering that comes in my life comes from that and so we've got suffering for our faith we have suffering by the enemy and then we have suffering for own and all, all those three of those don't go together but what Peter's going to write about in first Peter chapter 3 is that suffering that comes by our faith when a hot when a culture has turned hostile towards us what do we do and Peter says this and look here's the point of the whole passage Peter said if you're going to suffer don't suffer from your own stupidity and disobedience if you're going to suffer let it be because you are living for Jesus and he simplifies the Christian life, and here's what he said. Here's how you simplify the Christian life. Just do what Jesus would do. I'll, I'll finish with that. Would you stand with me as we honor God's word by reading it? First Peter chapter 3. It'll be on the screen if you don't have your Bibles. First Peter chapter 3. Look with me beginning in verse 13. Who then will harm you if you are devoted to what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness, you're blessed. Do not fear them or be intimidated. But in your hearts, regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do this with gentleness and reverence, keeping a clear conscience so that when you're accused, those who discourage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered for once, for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, in which he also went and made proclamation to the spirits in prison, who in the past were disobedient when God patiently waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared. In it a few, that is eight people were saved through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you not as the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers subject to him. Thank you. You may be seated. Peter says our faith is going to be under fire, suffer for the right reason. Let me give you four things I think we can pull out of this passage this morning to simplify the Christian life. Number one, let me simplify the Christian life this way and tell you this. Being good will keep you out of most trouble. Being good, doing good will keep you out of most trouble. Look what he said in verse 13. Who then will harm you if you're devoted to what is good? How about verse 16? Those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be 
put to shame. The simple truth of life is this. Doing good and being good rarely, rarely gets you into trouble. Being good, doing good, rarely gets you in trouble. Now you say, preacher, this is not rocket surgery. I get it. And we still do it. It's rare that you're going to get into trouble because you were doing the right thing. It's rare that you're going to hurt a relationship because you were doing the right thing. It's rare that you're going to get in trouble on your job because you were doing the right thing. It's rare that your family's going to get sideways because you're doing the right thing. It's rare that you're going to hurt your witness out in the community because you're doing the right thing. No, that is rare. I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm saying it's rare. We get into trouble when we do wrong. And so here Here's what Peter's trying to tell us this morning. You want to simplify the Christian life? Here it is. Stay away from wrong. Stay away from trouble. Because here's what he said. If we're suffering for our sin, quit complaining. If you're suffering for your sin, Peter said this, quit complaining. So here's what he's trying to tell us. Devote yourself to good and in life you'll find a lot less trouble coming your way, right? Just devote yourself to doing the right thing at all the time, and you'll find a lot less trouble coming your way. When I was a little boy, my dad, um, uh, I, I was just, I was a handful. I don't know how to describe it. I was just a handful. I was in constant trouble. I was in constant trouble at home. I, I was kind of, especially in grammar school, constant trouble, um, at school, I got so many paddlings in middle school, I got a paddling the first day of high school. That's kind of how I rolled for a minute. And so I just stayed in trouble. My dad, my dad just thought the best way to do it is to beat it out of him. And I'm not saying he was wrong. I, I got, deserved a lot more spankings than I really got. But my dad trying to just work with me a minute. I remember I was about middle school and my dad implemented a strike system. You know, one strike, two strikes, three strikes, you're out. And so, you know, the way he explained it to me was one strike was kind of a, a, a yellow warning and two strikes was an orange warning and three strikes he was going to murder me. So I, that's kind of how the plan worked. So I was really careful. But here's how it wound up working is I'd get one strike and in my mind, I got a strike to play with. Like, I mean... One strike, and I'm like, I'm good. Man, I, I can roll for a long time, but no matter what, I done rob a bank. I only get two strikes. Now, I found out later on that's not really the way his strike system worked because one time I had zero strikes, and I was just rolling into sin. I knew I was doing wrong. I was rolling into wrong. And when my dad called me, he said, one, two, three, all for the same thing. And I said, wait, that's not the way that works. I'm supposed to be able to murder somebody and get one strike. That's not the way it worked. It was one strike, two strikes. Now I'm walking on a thin line. And three strikes, I was out. But here's the interesting thing. I never got a strike for being good. So I was programmed early on. As a kid, you were too, right? Whether you had a strike system or not, you were programmed early on. And by the way, you should program your kids this way, but you're programmed early on. Um, Doing bad leads to trouble. 
doing good doesn't lead to trouble. Now, we know that as kids, we forget it as teenagers, and we ignore it as adults. Peter came along and said this, if you want to have good in your life, it's simple. Be good and do good and you'll stay out of trouble. Proverbs is full of advice on this. Proverbs chapter 11, be assured that a wicked person will not go unpunished, but the offspring of the righteous will escape. How about this? Proverbs chapter 10, the reward of the righteous is life. Doing good leads to life. The wages of the wicked or the disobedient is punishment. How about this? Proverbs chapter 5, a wicked man's iniquities will trap him. He will become entangled in the ropes of of his own sin. That's what the Bible tells us. We'll get entangled in the robes of our own sin. Ask yourself the question this morning, how much trouble could you have avoided in your life by doing right and not doing wrong? How much trouble could you have saved your marriage, your family, by doing right and not doing wrong? How much trouble could you have saved uh, on the job and in relationships and in high school and as a teenager by doing right and not doing wrong? Because most of the time we go eyes wide open into disobedience and then start complaining about the suffering that's on the other side. And here's what Peter said. Peter said, hey, being good doing good? You want to simplify the Christian life? I'm simplifying the Christian life for you this morning. Being good will keep you out of most trouble. Hey, I'd I'd ask you to close your eyes, but I don't want you to fall asleep. But uh, hey, just think for a moment. Think for a moment. Think about the trouble you have in your life. How much of it's caused by you? How much of it is your own disobedience. I mean, I close my eyes and think about most of my trouble, and most of my trouble in my life is from me. It's not the devil attacking me. It's not the world attacking me. It's my own stupidity and disobedience that is rocking my world. And here's what Peter said. Simplify the Christian life. Doing good will probably lead but he says this there, number two, he says, he says this as well. Sometimes the wrong won't like your right. Now, now here's what we have to come to grips with. We see it in verses 14, verse 17. We have to come to grips with this, that point number one is 100% true, but it's not 100% guaranteed. What do you mean? Well, remember, there, there are different kinds of suffering, right? Point one keeps me out of my own disobedient suffering, but point one may also lead to suffering and persecution because of my faith. Because here's the truth. When I do good and be good and live for Christ and am good, the world, the culture is not going to like it. It'll actually, here's what you discover. It'll actually please God, but anger man. It will please God, but anger man. Hey, we're seeing this in our culture every day of the week, that when we want to be left alone, we just want to live our faith. We just want to live our lives. The world won't let us. Why? Because when we devote ourselves to pleasing God, it angers the world. And here's what you've got to come to grips with today. You're going to have to decide in your Christian life who you're going to make happy. Are you going to make the culture happy or are you going to make God happy? The Bible warns us over and over we need to make God happy Galatians chapter 1 he says Paul says this for am I now trying to persuade people or God 
Am I striving to please people? If I was still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Here's what Paul said. Paul said, you cannot even be a disciple of Jesus if you're more concerned about pleasing people than you are pleasing God. Here's what he said to the Thessalonian church. He said, just as we've been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel so that, so we speak not to please people, but rather God who examines our hearts. I mean, that's about a preacher but we need to apply that to our own lives. My job is not to ple- uh, preach to make you happy. My job is to preach to make God happy. And I just let the chips fall where they may with you. Peter said this in the book of Acts. He's speaking with experience. Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than people. And church, I'm telling you, there is going to come a time in this culture when you have to choose. Am I going to make the people happy or am I going to make God happy? You say, well, I'm going to try my best to do both. Let me tell you what you do in that situation. You'll make both angry. You're going to have to choose. The culture in the wrong will not love it if you choose God. But hear me, in your Christian faith, you cannot please God and the culture at the same time. I'll prove it to you. Watch this video. Bowers, the motion man. Play fake. Bennett loads it. Fires to the end zone. McConkey touchdown. One play, six more points for Georgia. Uh, it's called an out and up. You get a receiver playing one-on-one coverage. First down touchdown. Watch it. Just a little wiggle, and he's gone. A little wiggle, and he's gone. Easy throw. Perfect call. Take advantage of the team that's... Wait, I'm going to show you the rest of the game. What, what's happening? No, no, I'm not going to show you the rest of the game. Now, how many of you love that video? Let me hear you. See? How many of you hate that video? Let me hear you say boo. See, depending on whose side you're on, you loved it or you hated it. Because, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't really remember, but... Um, Tennessee may have been ranked number one going into that game, and Georgia may have mopped the floor with them. It's all vague to me. I don't, I don't really remember, but uh, it's all vague to me. Stetson Bennett to Ladd McConkey, Chatsworth boy right there, touchdown. Now, now, you know what Stetson Bennett and Ladd McConkey could have said? They could have said, you know, let's be nice to the other guys. Uh, Ladd could have said, Stetson, I want you to throw it over my head, and if it comes close, I'll drop it. Because we want to make the other team happy too. Why, why don't they do that in football? Why, do, why don't people do that in football? I'll, I'll tell you why. Because their job is not to make the other team happy. Their job is to make their coach happy. Their job is to make their fans happy. Their job is to make their team happy. And I just promise you, if you make your team happy, you're going to make the other team mad. And believe it or not, Ladies and gentlemen, we're on teams in this world, and there's only two, and there's God's team, and then the world's team. There's God's team. They're the enemy's team. There's the God's, the God's team, and they're the culture team. And I promise you, if you make one happy, you'll make the other angry. In a hostile culture, your biblical worldview on abortion is not going to make the culture happy. 
in a hostile culture, your biblical worldview on homosexuality is not going to make the world happy. Your worldview on purity and holiness and on, uh, uh, on abstinence before marriage aren't going to make you popular. As a matter of fact, it will lead to persecution. Why? You cannot make one team happy without making the other team angry. Jesus said this, Matthew chapter 5, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Uh, Paul said this, 1 Timothy chapter 3, in fact, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. All who want to live a godly life, listen, will be persecuted. What you've got to decide today is who would you rather please? Because if you decide to please God, the culture is not going to throw you a party. The culture is not going to like you. Matter of fact, the the friends you have at school probably aren't going to like you. The people you think like you on the job probably not going to like you. You may even have some family turn against you, but hear me, when deciding to please the culture or please God, always, always choose God. And by the way, That's the same decision we'll make here at this church. Too many churches have decided, too many so-called churches have decided to please the culture instead of pleasing God. And that's not the decision we'll make here. Because I understand if we make the culture happy, it is God that will frown on us. So we're going to go in and we'll choose God every Third thing Peter said, he said number three, but, listen, but, be ready to give a reason for your resolve. He said it in verse 15, but in your hearts where God Christ the Lord is holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks for your reason for the hope that is in you. Now, I'm not getting too much, but uh, the word defense there is the word apologia in the Greek. It's where we get our English word apologetics. It meant a formal response in court to specific charges. So it's a legal term, and it meant in court you're being charged with a certain crime, and your apologia is your formal response to that charge. It could also be used um, in uh, a defense against your pagan neighbors, the way Peter's using it. It could also be used about literally you being taken to court. And Peter says this, you've got to give a reason for the hope. What hope is he talking about? He's talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our faith in that. Now, here's what you need to know about the Roman culture. The Roman culture had all of these gods that they worship, but when we get to about AD 60, they are disillusioned with all of their gods. And Peter said, you be ready. You be ready. In a culture that's lost hope in all their idols, he said with gentleness and reverence, not angrily, but with humility and the fear of God, be ready to give a hope, a reason, an apologia for why you believe what you believe. Be ready to tell the world about Jesus. Can I tell you this morning, church, that's going to require measure of discipleship. That is an ongoing process in your life so that you're learning more and more and more about Jesus. That means you need to be in your Bible. You need to be in church. You need to hear every sermon. You need to be in a small group. You've got to learn what you can learn. 
Because your answer can't be, well, because that's what my preacher says. Peter didn't say, run, get me, when the world asked a question. The people said, you. Peter said, you be ready. You be ready to give a defense for your faith. The, uh, that is the playbook, NFL playbook of Kirk Cousins, plays for the Minnesota um, Vikings. The NFL playbook, offensive playbook especially, is a sacred item uh, to every NFL team. The average NFL playbook is thicker than an old television book of a major city, uh, telephone, telephone book of a major city. I'm, I'm not talking about Ringo, Georgia telephone book. I'm talking about New York City. You see it. It's thicker than the average. It's typically over a thousand pages, has 4,000 plays in it with 6,000 variations. 4,000 plays with 6,000 variations. Every week in the NFL, the average team will install 100-plus passing plays and 50-plus running plays. 100-plus passing plays, 50-plus running plays. The quarterback and all the players have to go to the line of scrimmage and in less than 30 seconds decide, decide what play to call. Now, here's the interesting thing about this. It's not that they just have to decide what play to call. Here's what they have to do. Monday morning, they have to defend every call they made. Because ESPN comes on, reviews every call. Fox Sports comes on, reviews every call. Guy who don't know nothing about football, Joe, in his recliner, reviews every call. Never seen a football in his life, but he reviews every call. You know what they have to be ready to do? Not just call the play but to defend the play. You know what you have to be ready to do with your faith? Not just live your faith, but defend your faith. You've got to know your Bible, know why you believe what you believe, be a disciple. You say, well, where do I start with that? I'll tell you where to start. You be ready to defend your faith to a hostile culture. That is, you at least need to know how you got saved. And you at least need to know why you're living for Jesus. Leads me to the fourth thing, and I'm finished in, in, in one minute. Listen to this. Here's what Peter said. Do what Jesus would do. Look at verse 18. For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. And there are other verses surrounding it. Here's what the verses tell us about the majesty of our Savior. And start off making one big proclamation here's what peter said jesus is our example here's what here's what jesus said about it matthew chapter 10 it is enough for a disciple to become like his teacher and a slave like his master if they called the head of the house beelzebub that's jesus how much more the members of his household here's what jesus said they're going to attack you the way they attack me if they did it to jesus they'll do it to us so what is our response to that here's what peter said your response to this is be like Jesus. What does he mean, be like Jesus? Here's what we know about Jesus, the life of Jesus. He never sinned. He never shamed anyone. He never got revenge on anyone. He was always sharing the gospel. He was always relying on the scripture. He was filled with the spirit. And when people killed him, he said, Father, forgive them. That's the story of Jesus. It's the simplest 
and best advice ever in a hostile world. Just do what Jesus would do. Would you close your Bibles and stand with me across the room? You say, well, how do I I simplify that process? Here's what you do. You be filled with the Spirit of God. You walk in the power of the Spirit. You know your Bible. You learn all you can about Jesus and let him live through you. How much do we pay attention to what Jesus did in our lives? my, My girls, I had two girls still have two girls, but I had two girls in the household and, and I never forget trying to teach them how to drive. There's two things in my mind that I remember about trying to teach them how to drive. One happened to me, one happened to Sherry. I was bringing uh, Michaela back from her driving lesson and I picked her up at school, took her to get her learner's license. And then I'm letting her drive back to school. It's just a couple miles. I'm letting her drive back to school. And it was one of the most harrowing experiences I've ever been in in my life. And I never forget, I said this to her. And she just passed the driving test, and I said this to her. I said, we're, we're going to turn at this red light. Put your left blinker on. And she said, I don't know where the blinker is. And I said, oh, my word. And first thing I thought was, she hadn't paid any attention to what I've been doing all these years with her. We lived in Chatsworth, and about a mile down the road from our house was Ingalls Grocery Store, brand new Ingalls Grocery Store. And where we were in the stage of our life, we were there every day of our lives. We had basketball games every day. We 82 basketball games a year. It was typical when both were playing. And so we were just in basketball games all the time, and we're just having to go to We didn't shop for groceries for a week. That's spoil. We had to go almost daily. And so one of the girls was always with us going to Ingalls. And one time Sherry was leaving with Savannah, and you, you had to turn out of our subdivision, turn left, and in about a mile, you ran right into Ingalls. Savannah's just gotten her license. Sherry's letting her drive. And Sherry said, hey, let's go to Ingalls. And Savannah said, I have no idea where Ingalls is. And Sherry said, we go every day, honey. Savannah said, I'm normally asleep before we get out of the subdivision. And what we discovered is our girls didn't pay any attention to what we were doing in the driver's seat. And I'm afraid too many Christians are living their lives the same way. We aren't paying any attention to Jesus. We're not paying any attention to the Spirit. And so we have no idea how to simply live for Christ in a hostile culture. Would you bow your heads with me wherever you may be? Christian life's not that hard. Just do good and be good, and most of the time you'll be fine. You will decide, you will find out it's not really popular living for Jesus, but if you'll disciple yourself so you can defend your faith and life, it'll be so much easier. In the simplified version of this, do what Jesus would do. Do what Jesus would do. I can read 1 Peter chapter 3 and see what Jesus did. I can read the gospel and see what Jesus did. I can read the Bible and find out what God would have me to do. Be like Jesus. Now, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life, you can't be like Jesus. That takes the power of the Holy Spirit. And if you're at Dalton, Rossville, you're watching online, 
Listen, you're here at Rock Spring. Today is your day to give your heart and life to Jesus. And if you're at a campus somewhere, we've got pastors up front who'd love to take their Bibles and show you how you can be saved today. You should not leave this building and not know Jesus as your Savior. So when we begin to sing in a moment, all you got to do is walk down the aisle, take a pastor by the hand and say, I'd like to become a Christian today. Maybe you want to join our church. Move your membership here. Maybe you need to be baptized. Come tell a pastor that. They'll walk you through all of those decisions wherever you may be. If you're watching online, Pastor Jeremy's got a word for you. Thank you, Pastor Joel, for that incredible message. And really, that should be our goal, uh, to live as much like Jesus uh, in these times as we possibly can when culture is going so hard after uh, Christians and those of us who claim the name of Christ. And, um, and so that challenge is so important for us, us this morning. And... Um, if you, there really is no hope for you apart from a relationship with Jesus. Scripture tells us aside from the righteousness of God, we are completely and totally unrighteous. And so um, your relationship with God begins when you understand that you're a sinner and that your sin separates you from God. You've got to be willing to admit that. You've got to believe that God wasn't satisfied with the separation created between us and Him by our sin. And so He sent Jesus to die on the cross, uh, to be buried, and uh, to rise again to pay the penalty for our sin, making it possible for us to once again have a relationship with God. And then according to Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10, we believe that in our heart and we confess it with our mouth and we will be saved. And perhaps God has spoken to your heart this morning, and that's, that's the decision that you need to make today. If that's you, simply tell God this, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner, and I'm sorry for my sin. I believe that Jesus died on the cross, that He was buried, and that He rose again on the third day. And Lord, I ask You right now, through the power of Your Holy Spirit, to come into my heart, take away my sin, be my Savior, Lord, I give my life to you in Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer this morning for the very first time, we want to have more of a conversation with you. We want to talk to you about the decision you've made, and we want to help you take next steps on your faith journey with Jesus. And so we've just dropped a link in the chat box that says, I commit my life to Christ. Click on that. We're going to ask you, I think, three questions so that I personally can connect with you this week. Hey, it has been awesome to be together this week. Um, I love our online worship community. I hope you have a great week. God bless you. We'll see you next Sunday. We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week as we help equip you to apply God's Word to your daily life. For the latest updates about what's happening around Peavine City, be sure to connect with us on social media. For more information about Peavine, to get in touch with us or check out one of our services, visit us at peavine.org. Thanks for listening.